Hello team, it's Pam here from Alt Marketing School. I have a question for you right now and that is what would happen if you could market to hearts and not brains? What would you think would happen if you knew that you could make the world a better place with positive impact marketing but putting purpose and results first? If you want to find out, then come and join us for the Alt Marketing Certification. Our six-week digital bootcamp for professionals who want to do marketing differently and advance their career along the way. Join me and our six incredible teachers to learn how to advance your career with confidence by applying effective systems and frameworks to the latest trends. The next cohort is coming up soon, so I would love to have you join us. And all you have to do is apply to join at altmarketingschool.com slash learn. Go to altmarketingschool.com slash learn to apply for the next cohort of All Marketing School certification. Hello and welcome to Make an Impact Show, a podcast run by Creative Impact Co. Our mission is to help creatives grow their business, hone their marketing, and share their stories via outstanding content. Hello, everyone, and hello, Amy. Good day to you, madam. <laughs> hello, how are you doing? I am exquisite. Exquisite. I'm going to use the words exquisite today. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. The sun is shining a little bit, so that's nice. That little ray of sunshine in autumn is <laughs> is what we are like clinging on to right now, pretty much. Um, but at least is a cozy sweater weather and uh, <laughs> like a porridge and all of these good things. So, you know, silver lining there. Yeah, definitely. And pumpkin spice lattes. Oh, do you make them at home? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously. Just for yourself or for the whole family? Is it just like a, co- a collective sort of thing? Uh, usually just for me. But I do make them try them, but they're not really a fan. So it's usually just for me. <laughs> I see. I see. That's the thing. But you know what? It's kind of one of those things that I think a lot of people, a lot of my, our lovely listeners might also think about. It's just you kind of want to cozy up a bit more. It, it is that season when you're like, you know what? It's all right if I'm staying at home a bit longer than usual and yeah. I'm just chilling. Um it's also interesting because it's also, I think, a lot of us are less distractions. We're not going out as much for a variety of reasons, sadly. Um, so, you know, we're back to our phones a bit more. We're back to actually the online world a bit more. And uh, kind of as a good segue to today's episode, we're talking a lot about standing out on social today with Brendan Kane. Um, and I was wondering, obviously, with this idea of sitting down with your pumping spice latte mm-hmm. and scrolling the online world and Instagram or social, is there anything that you find really um stands out for you I guess aside from the content you create is there any type of content that really stands out when you look at it that catches your attention I think it's really difficult to stand out nowadays on Instagram I feel like it used to be a lot easier to kind of get noticed um for me I guess it's really beautiful food photography that really catches my eye because that's what I'm passionate about but I know obviously Instagram are doing IG reels and again they keep pushing those on me which I do like some of them um but I guess everyone it depends what the viewer is looking for um because if you're really into sport then a really good sport video or post will grab your attention so I think it's really knowing who your audience are I love that and um, it's something that actually we're going to talk a lot about today uh Brendan which I'll introduce you to in a second is really 
obviously part of his passion is not just like social media and marketing as a whole, but also understanding why we get hooked to different things online. And uh, I'm going to have you guys now, Amy, on live. How uh, how many seconds do you think does it take to people um, to, you know, to catch people's attention before they actually switch off? Oh, it's probably like half a second, if that. <laughs> I'll give you a bit more. Uh, it's actually three seconds. It's part of the title of Brendan's book as well, but <laughs> we're going to give them three seconds. Um, Fun fact, guys, once I was doing a workshop and somebody said, it must be a minute. And I was like, I want to know who you're talking to. Because um, it's a long time. I mean, it is a long time for people to even digest the content once they decide to actually put that attention on. So yeah, a bit more generous than your half a second, but still it's three seconds as long as it takes. Um, but yeah, today I'm super excited to bring you band and guys. So thank you so much, Amy, for sharing um, a bit more about that as well. Um, guys, I'm going to introduce us to Brandon before we kick off. Brandon Kane is an outside of the box syndicate, a speaker and author who empowers brands to scale by helping them stand out and be competition in a saturated market. He is the author of two books. One is the best-selling book, One Million Followers, and Hook Point, which we talk about a lot today which has a tagline of how to stand out in a three-second world. So as you can see, we're definitely going to be left in good hands. Hello, Brandon. Hey, how's it going? It's going very well. Thank you. How are you doing? I'm doing well. It's wonderful to connect with you right now. It's lovely to chat to you as well. I'm really excited to get to actually our listeners and our members to know a bit more about you and talk a bit more about your book as well. So we had a bit of an introduction before as well, but just in case people don't know who you are and what you do, would you like to give us a bit of a background about yourself very briefly? Yeah, sure. So I've been in the digital technology and social media space for over 15 years and my background's a bit different than most people because I'm such an experiential learner. So I've touched so many different facets of uh, those industries. Uh, so I started off entertainment, managing digital divisions for movie studios, overseeing the strategy on campaigns for films ranging from 15 to $100 million budgets, which also afforded me the ability to work directly with actors and producers and directors to further syndicate their brand online. And then from there, I just realized that the movie industry is just another corporation. Everybody thinks it's a super sexy like thing, but it's really just another corporate infrastructure. And I am just an entrepreneur at heart. So I left and started building tech platforms and licensing them back to big media companies, likes of MTV, Viacom, Vice, Paramount, Yahoo, to name a few. And uh, those partnerships opened the doors to work with some of the biggest celebrities and musicians on the planet. So it's like MTV introduced me to Taylor Swift and worked with her and her team for two and a half years amongst others. And then got heavily involved in human uh, psychology and human behavior and its correlative effect of getting people to perform certain actions on digital platform or through content or advertising and applied a lot of that to help found uh, one of the top social media advertising uh, firms in the world where we were optimizing spend on top of Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube for Fortune 500 companies. And then, you know, left and started building my own set of testing methodologies that uh, I used to help 
um, celebrities, journalists, um, musicians scaled their social following and then set out to run an experiment on myself of building a million followers in hundred countries in 30 days, which led to my first book, 1 million followers and just published my second book, uh, as of a few weeks ago called hook point, how to stand out in a three second world. So really it's like, I'm such an experiential learner that I just like to kind of experiment and test things and then share that information with my clients and other people that I'm speaking to or podcasts or books or whatever it may be. It really resonates with that because I'm very experiential myself. I like to try things and see how they work. And that's kind of how I retain that information. And then I can almost play with that. So I appreciate that sort of like on level geekness that's, that's going on. And I, and that's when I listened to the book and I said to you at the beginning, I did listen to uh, the book itself and that's what resonated with me. And that's why I wanted to chat a bit further because I think um, so a lot of the things that you talk about can be very relevant to other people once they can put it into perspective, even if they're not as experiential or they don't have their marketing and digital background experience. Because I find, obviously, with our members and people that we talk to every day, that could be a bit of a block. If you understand, it can be about, ooh, data, mm, not sexy. Whereas I'm like, yes, data. So not everybody's like us, put it this way. So it's kind of good to be able to find that connection and it's interesting that you brought the experiment up as how you put it into a context to show how it could be done regardless of what people thought you should have as you say you mentioned Taylor Swift and movies but it doesn't mean that you cannot also achieve those numbers by using the techniques that you talk about even as a beginner and just starting out really yeah 100 percent. and to your point is even if you don't like data or it scares you or overwhelms you, it doesn't mean that you have to focus all of your energy on it. Like you can hire other people to do that, but it's important to at least understand it. And that's where like a lot of people come to me and they'll say, well, should I hire XYZ social media agency or contractor or consultant or how much should I spend on it? And I always recommend, you know, just at least getting a base understanding of like how things work because that'll inform you on who to hire, how to know if the person that you are hiring is delivering, or you may be surprised and you may enjoy it. Some people just get overwhelmed by the concept of data and testing and analytics. And like, I can definitively tell you, I'm not a math genius. I struggled in math in school. So it's not like you have to be like some wizard to do it. And I think it can be fun for you and fuel the creativity of your business once you understand the basis of it. And I like what you said about understanding who you want to hire, which help you want, because it almost helps you setting expectations. I come from a similar background where I used to manage and support people with social media at the very beginning. And sometimes you talk to a client and their expectation of what is success is completely different. So until you understand what are you expecting and what you want to look at as results, you wouldn't know if the help, the book, the course that you're doing or whatever help you're getting is really delivering what you really want because you're going for what you think you should be looking for. Maybe understanding how, I guess, the algorithms change so quickly. Things change so quickly. And that's probably one element of that understanding and keeping up with it. Is there something that you do or something that helps you kind of seeing how things are evolving? Is there something that you like to do or that really helps you with that? Well, yeah, and that's a great question. Um, two two answers to that. One, we're students of it. Like we're constantly consuming content and it's amazing how many people want to get into social media but don't actually study social media. 
sure, maybe they use Instagram or YouTube or Facebook, but are they really trying to dissect, like, why is this content working versus other content not working? Or somebody will spend all of their time on Instagram, but then they start a YouTube channel without really diving in and understanding that ecosystem. So again, we're very much eager to learn. And even after being in this space for 15 years, we're constantly learning. We're constantly improving our understanding and seeing who's doing well, who's not doing well, or even looking at like a content creator that's very successful and studying the formats that work for them and don't work for them. So that's one thing that we're constantly doing for ourselves. Um, but also to your point of the, the constant change. And one of the things that, that we focus on immensely is the actual content itself. Because algorithms can shift all the time, and they do. But at the end of the day, the algorithms have one job and one job only, and that's to keep you on their platforms longer. And if you create content that engages people, that retains people, you're always going to win. Sure, will it be slight tweaks of how people consume content and adjustments that will have to be made? Yes. But if you continuously follow that structure of how do I create content that retains people, meaning consuming it for longer periods of time, you're going to win. You're going to generate that, that reach. And sure, are there certain hacks to grow and gain reach uh, or gain followers? Yes, but that's short-term fixes. You got to look at like the long-term strategy and the long-term play of what social media means and represents. And to that, first of all, yes. Uh, secondly, <laughs> because I say yes, uh, because it's really that element of that value that you are providing. And I think that's a massive shift. I'm going to reiterate it one more time what you said. The algorithm is there to help us find what we want to see. Therefore, it's going to be based on the content that we consume and the way that we interact with it. And again, You said it, maybe more basic for us. We are the students of social, we're the students of understanding content and trying and testing, which is a big part of what you talk about, especially in the first book. But I think it's so important to understand that because then the, the algorithm doesn't become a scary monster or something that is not helping us. It's actually what helps people finding our content because of the value that we provide. I have a little question about this just to follow up on it. Um, obviously testing is a big part and definitely in the first book as well and that's one element and what I loved about it is indeed the fact that it's about testing content and testing the reactions and testing how people re relate to that what have you found was one of the interesting findings that you think some people might not have expected when it came to some of the testing that you have done whether it's for the book or other examples that you can think about well I think the one one format that that I don't know that it's surprising to me, but it's interesting and I didn't expect it in the beginning. And I think we really discovered this over the past year and a half, two years, is narrative storytelling works tremendously well. Uh, so there's like an account like Darman. I don't know if you're familiar with Darman, but he's generated 8 billion views and all he does is kind of like short films and stories around two characters expressing something. Um, Jay Shetty uses a, a similar format. Uh, the Dodo, a, a pet account, does that through storytelling. But uh, it's kind of interesting, and but it also makes sense at the same time. Because again, what are the algorithms looking for? They're looking for that retention. And what does a story do? It's like if you think back to childhood or if you think to the last time you sat down on your couch or went to a movie theater and 
a story starts. And what happens when that story starts? You want to find out what happens at the end. Because we all know a story has a beginning, middle, and an end to it, which builds to what the algorithms are looking for. It builds towards those retention uh, metrics that they're going after. So when you're presented with a story on social media, that trigger effect of your, your subconscious of the desire of what's going to happen next, what happens in this story, what happens in the end plays to that. Now you have to hook people in with the story because if you don't get them in that first three seconds, people will scroll past. But just thinking about the difference of narrative storytelling versus just speaking to the camera. Now that's not to say that you can't tell a story speaking to the camera. You can, but I think a lot of people go wrong where they just sit in front of the camera and then they just spew a bunch of facts or just, you know, just go off and start talking about a subject matter versus thinking about it in terms of retention, thinking about how can I actually turn this into a story to build that retention and, and capture that audience in that way. On that, I kind of still a segue hook. Yes. I'm going to tap on that hook three seconds. That's something that I talk a lot also with some of my students, like talking about how long does it take to kind of get people hooked and get them to stop? What is there anything, obviously, I guess, especially from your, from your book, something that come up when it comes to hook, finding interesting hooks, especially as you say, I'm going to put us in an interesting position. When you are struggling, whether because of the topic or because of yourself or your confidence, when it comes to just creating that beginning of the story, creating, you know, you, you don't know how to put that entertaining kind of hat on or just creating something more valuable. What would you say for somebody that struggles creating the right hook? Maybe there's something great to say, but they don't know how to get their attention straight away. Uh, it's a great question. And it's, and it's funny you bring it up because that's what my whole entire second book is on is it's called hook point, how to stand out in a three second world. And I'll also give uh, you a link for your listeners to a masterclass. It's free to your listeners. Typically we charge for it, but it's an hour and a half on constructing hooks um, because I think it's the most valuable skill set that you can have is most people will get caught up in building followers or sales or things of that nature, which are all important. But if you can't figure out how to hook, it's not going to sustain. So what are the, some of the, the practices that, that people can employ to do that? Uh, one is studying the market. Like, as I mentioned with social content is one of the exercises that we give people is pull the best hooks that you've seen. What is a billboard that makes you stop? What is a TV ad that makes you stop or a Facebook ad or things of that nature? And then taking that sentence or that first three to, sec, uh, three to five seconds and plug in your words, your content. Um, like one of my friends that I interviewed for the Hookpoint book has sold over a billion dollars with a product through copywriting. He's one of the top copywriters in the world. And he told the story of when he first started out, he was horrible at creating hooks. So that's what the exercise that he started doing is he'd find other people's hooks and plug in his um, messages, his services and things of that nature. So it starts training you to think in that capacity. Um, another tool that we use a lot uh, and one of the areas I think people really struggle with hooks and capturing that attention is they're typically saying the same thing in the same way as everybody else. So an example is let's say you are a meditation coach or you launched a meditation app or something like that. Most people, what they're going to do is they're going to 
construct that ad or that social piece of content with the same messaging that has been said thousands, if not tens of thousands of times. I mean, meditation has been around for thousands of years. And the typical things are like meditation is the key to success or meditation relieves stress and anxiety or meditation is the key to happiness. If I see a headline like that, I already know what the video is going to be about. Like, I don't need to stop. It's not to say that your perspective isn't valuable. It's just me as the consumer. I can see what this video is going to be about and I've already heard it. So I don't need to stop versus one of the tools that we use. Um, sometimes I'm not saying to use this all the time, but it is a valuable tool and it kind of breaks you out of the typical mindset is subverting expectations. So flipping things on its head, because one of the things that we talk about a lot is pattern interruption is we live in a world where there's 60 billion messages sent out on digital platforms each day. It's like, you're no longer competing against your direct competition. So going back to meditation, you're no longer competing against other people in the meditation space. You're competing against LeBron James, Kim Kardashian, Netflix, the latest news story, all of these different things. And as people are scrolling and they watch a Kim Kardashian video and then they come to your video, what's going to cause them to stop? So subverting expectations is one of those tools. So how would we apply that again to the meditation example? Well, one way you could do is have a headline that says meditation is a scam. And what I would, the way that I would structure that video is to say, I've met so many people in the world that feel meditation is a scam because there's so much misinformation in the marketplace. For example, it's like in order to be successful with meditation, you have to clear your head. So what I'm going to do in this video is break down the misconceptions about meditation and how to think about meditation differently if you failed with it in the past. So what have I done? I've subverted that expectation. So when I see meditation is a scam, I'm like, well, I haven't seen this type of video before about meditation, so I'm going to listen to it. And then I'm easing my way into the real valuable information I want to give. So there's a big difference when we talk about hook points and clickbait, clickbait is not going to deliver value to your brand. You still have to deliver on it. So in, in constructing a powerful hook that's effective, there's three core pillars. So first is the hook itself, which is designed to capture the attention, which we just went over the pattern interruption and subverting expectation and studying references. The second is a story. You have to have a compelling story to match the attention that you're grabbing. Because if you grab the attention and then you don't have a powerful story, then it falls apart. And that's typically where clickbait falls apart. Um, and then the third, which is just as important, is authenticity and credibility. Do people believe what you are telling them? Now, if you can't capture attention, you'll never get to the story. If you capture attention with a poor story, you're gonna lose people. And then if you capture attention with a powerful story, but it doesn't feel authentic, then it falls apart. So you need to have these three key pillars playing off of each other in order for that whole model to work and to actually maximize the value of attention. I love that. And actually that reminds me of something that we talked about just to give people one quick, other uh, quick example with our members, we were talking last month at a time of recording about um, email marketing and just understanding a couple of elements. And I said, so many people look over the headline, but the headline to me is one of those hook points in a way that the headline will give you a teaser, will give you something, will get an emotional response out of you. And then the content of the email is where really people have set the expectations and they're looking for the answer to the question or to what they're looking for. And what you said 
is so important understanding that there is an element of trust that you're building with followers subscribers whatever content you're creating and if these expectations are set and they're not met or if people feel they are betraying their trust in the way that what you're promising or what you are offering as a solution to a problem is not really there which in this case and my favorite case is still by sharing a story and delivering that value that's really where you lose people. That's really where people see that lack of authenticity or whatever you want to call it. So it's kind of funny because we talked about it. And the way that I said it was like, people, please think about your headlines. Don't underestimate them. Because if I'm opening an email as a very clear example, it's because I want to read something or I want to learn something that I will know thanks to the headline. So I see this as such a valuable, simple kind of three elements that you can find in so many ways in marketing because some people might think this applies only to videos it doesn't really it's all about the different touch points of conversations that you have with your potential customers or followers i guess isn't it yeah and i'm glad you brought up the email example because just to break down those three pillars in terms of the email analogy um grabbing the attention is a subject line and how do you measure that is open rate and like with our even with our newsletters and emails that we focus on that first and we've taken our email opens from like eight or 9% up to like 40 or 50%. And that's by testing those headlines. But just thinking about it is like, if you don't get people to open the email, you don't even get to the content, which means you're not getting to the second pillar, which is the story. So then how do you measure the effectiveness of that story is if you put a link, a link in the, the email, you can measure what the effectiveness of that click through is. And then you have the trust and credibility which can play to the the click-through percentage. But if you're trying to drive that click-through into a sale or to some type of registration, that can tell you how effective you are in terms of building that authenticity and building it in that credibility. So it's a perfect example of those three pillars put into action by looking at what happens with email marketing. Would you say that the, the pillars themselves, obviously, they feel like a guiding light to me, especially as some, like the core elements, I guess, they are part of the book as well. But would you say that this could be a great seed of an exercise or something for people to reflect on if they felt like this is completely new to them in the way that they construct their content? Or is that something that they can do even before that as one of the first steps that they can take to really start crafting better hooks? Well, I think it's both. In you know, the book and the pillars focus not just on online, but offline. So my background is not just like social media and digital. It's also going into big boardrooms and closing your know, multi-million dollar deals with a celebrity or with a CEO of an executive. So I firmly believe that these three pillars are integral part of your entire business. Whether you're talking about organic social content, paid ads, landing pages, emails, um, business development, All of that plays in. So the sooner that you can start thinking through that lens and everything that you do, the more you're going to set yourself up for success. Because again, at the end of the day is like, if you look at the holistic picture of your business, maybe you're amazing at grabbing attention, but you're not a great storyteller or your stories are falling short, or maybe you're great at grabbing attention and telling stories, but there's something off in the way that you're delivering it that's turning people off or where most businesses are failing today or struggling to reach the next level is typically they have a great story. They're delivering it with tremendous trust and credibility. It's just, they cannot capture that attention. And everything that we do with our clients is we don't change who people are. 
we don't change what they say. What we do is we change the way they say it. It's contextualizing it in a way that can stand out, that can get people to listen to what you have to say. Because the bottom line is that first three to five seconds, which I would say 99% of businesses don't focus on, is just there to win the next 10, 15, 30 seconds to get to your story. And most people will just try and start with their story or try start with their product or their service or start with the credibility when the consumer is not even at that part of the journey yet with them. And I think it's, um, and as I'm projecting and I'm kind of wondering, there's also an element of that, that sometimes we tend to forget that not everybody that comes you know, to our doors, not everybody that talk to us necessarily knows what we're trying to deliver. And sometimes we think, well, people know who we are, therefore we don't need to set the scene. We don't need to create that context. We don't need to outline that journey in a way that is kind of compelling. I'm not saying that that's what everybody thinks, but I do talk sometimes with small businesses myself and I find that people are like, do I really need to do that? And it's like, yes, every single time, because you never know kind of what you need to set the scene for and how you can actually provide that value. Yeah. And again, going back to what I said earlier is no longer are you just fighting against your direct competition. You're fighting against every piece of content. So maybe somebody does know your business, but if they keep swiping past your ads or your content, or maybe it doesn't get there because it's getting suppressed in the algorithms, then you lose that connection point. You know, one of the things that was said when I was working in the film industry is that you had to be exposed to a movie six or seven times before the actual transaction happens. And I think that applies to every business. Uh, so maybe somebody knows who you are. I would say that most businesses, if they're looking to reach that next level of growth or, or just scale in general, they need to open up to new audiences and cold traffic on top of the fact that they need to understand that the consumer may not remember or may not be top of mind with a brand. Uh, so you need to kind of refresh that and keep refreshing it. And if you look at the biggest brands in the world, they're constantly doing this, like the Nikes, the Netflixes of the world, the Amazons, how much they invest to continuously stay top of mind and find new ways to communicate with their pre-existing audience and hook in uh, audiences that haven't yet converted to a loyal customer. And I love um, the example they did with the films is like, is similar to the marketing rule of seven from the 1930s, believe it or not, which is all about that six to seven interaction that advertisers found where the kind of like tipping point where people would, you know, invest or take the action after an ad. And as you said, this is also true for other industries. And as you also mentioned, probably even worse right now because of what is really the interaction. Is it, as you said, just people scrolling mindlessly or is the interaction reading a comment or even posting a comment? It's such a great area that these touch points are even more important than ever because um, I don't remember oops, who said that, but we're talking about purposeful interactions and purposeful engagement. It was another podcast, apologies, that's where it was. And I remember I was like, that's so fascinating because when people put that purpose, put their thoughts into those conversations, they will remember them and they will create more of that connection. And as you say, sometimes we just tend to overestimate that or not really think about it intentionally. Yeah. And one of the other tools that we use is we use a communication a framework called process communication. And 
the one of the things that we pay attention to is people perceive the world in different ways. And that means that the way that you express your product, your brand or service uh, needs to understand how different people perceive it. How, what are the, what is a specific type of language? What, do they like to be told what to do? They, do they like to be asked questions? Do they perceive the world through feelings, emotions, or thoughts or logic or values and opinions? And that's another thing that I think businesses um, don't really think about is they'll create one ad or one way to express their product or brand. And maybe it works really well for a subset of the audience, but it may be alienating up to like 80% or, or more. So that's where testing different messages, and we did this in the film industry all the time, is you'll see a movie which the basic plot is the same, but they'll, they'll do different ways of expressing it. Maybe they have one that talks about uh, the feelings and emotions of it versus another that is the action-packed part of it, and they'll measure that response. And I think that that's one way that I would love to see businesses really challenge themselves is when most people are designing content, whether it's organic or paid or advertising, whatever it is, they're expressing how they view the, the business, the brand or the service versus how is the audience perceiving it. And it's like, that is a fundamental shift that will really help break you through is, okay, I'm not going to think about what I want to express. I want to think about what is the audience? What is my potential customer base? What is my pre-existing audience uh, our customer base view as valuable and connecting with them in that way. That was a little fun anecdote. So I was listening to, again, the book, One Million Followers, and you talked about that. you got a couple of examples as well. And I was walking in a field, by the way, guys, I like to walk in fields when I listen to books. It just kind of get, gets me pumped. It's like, it's like I was writing in my notes because I do that sometimes. I was like, what? And I just stopped again and I listened to it again because obviously you mentioned like where the study came from and I wrote down all the examples, all the different types. So again, fangirling here. But one of the best things about like the book for me was that because I really could resonate with that principle and I just was so excited. Literally was like, yes. And people were like, what is she doing? But to prove my point that I'm weird, it really resonated with me and it was a, such a simple shift, but it made me realize that that's why people resonate with different types of content. And once you understand that, you're like, oh, how am I presenting it? How am I, as you say, testing it or portraying it in different ways? So once again, definitely check out the book, which you can find in the show notes. Um, but that was, to me, very much a simple shift. But it, I, for us personally, it made a massive difference in a couple of ways that we were actually putting the content out there following that. So thank you for that. It was, again, really yeah, exciting. I, I believe in it so much. Like the, the person that was featured in that book, I just hired him to join our agency uh, because I fundamentally believe it's one of the most important things to understand and expressing your content. And we now look at that through the lens of everything that we do. I mean, we look at it in terms of our ad creative our social content our landing page creative, but also with our private clients is like, we understand how are they perceiving the world? Because the, we, we need to a contextualize the information we want to present with them, present to them to help them grow their business so that they can hear what we're saying. Because like, it, it, like if somebody's perceiving the world through feelings and emotions and the other one person that's presenting the, 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 the information through thoughts and logic, we could be saying the same thing, but missing each other completely. And if we just shift the way that we deliver that information, then we can effect, effectively have 
you know, truly powerful communication. But then also when we understand what the strengths and weaknesses of our clients are, then we can coach them and also, you know, deliver hooks and um, strategy and guidance based upon how they perceive the world. Because again, we can give the best strategy, but if they're not articulating their value in a way that connects with the larger audience and the different ways people perceive it, then it ultimately falls flat kind of filling those gaps and almost like helping them with filling those gaps. Yeah. Um, And that's kind of what, as I said, simple shift where it really puts that kind of element of marketing with that purposeful messaging, but also that psychology, which I know is like behavior and psychology is a big thing that you focused on, which is a big part of communication, holistically speaking anyway. I want to just say something because I really love the fact that you said simple shift. That, that had a powerful impact because most people are looking for a massive shift. And I often find the most success doesn't come from a massive shift, but these simple shifts and the way that you think about things that you take action on. And I, I think if people could have more appreciation for the simple shifts, I think that they ultimately would find the, the success that they're looking for. I agree. And as you say, it's just that perception. It has to be something big. It has to be a big revolution. But the small things can make a massive difference. And you gave us loads of stuff. And there are so many things, so many thoughts as well, but also a couple of really interesting principles that people can definitely look into. Now, before I let you tell us a bit more about what people can find out about your books and also the masterclass that you mentioned earlier, I have the last question. Hope you're ready. Hope you're settled. The hardest question of them all. I ask everyone. So <clears throat> if you were to have brunch, like with anyone dead or alive, pick anyone, who would that person be and why? It's a great question. I would say, you know, normally I would say Steve Jobs, but based on kind of the, the psychology element, I think it would be like Sigmund Freud. Ooh. I think that, that would be a, an interesting one. Oh, nice. Have you got... Can you think about where we Either Sigmund Freud or his nephew, Edward uh, Bernays. So I don't know if you know, Edward Bernays was Sigmund Freud's nephew, came to the United States, and he was the founder of PR and public relations and took all of Sigmund Freud's stuff and basically turned it into what PR is known today and like consulted for like the biggest presidents and brands and corporations on the planet of how to effectively market to the masses. That could be a really good conversation. That would definitely be a good conversation that if you manage to record, even better. Awesome. Well, either or, I think it could be like definitely a good brunch. Thank you so much for sharing the time with us. Thank you so much for sharing your knowledge with us as well. It was great. If people want to find more about you, what are the best links and what are a couple of things you mentioned as well that people should check out? Yeah, so I would suggest that the first place to start is with the free masterclass and it's free to people that listen to this podcast. So they can go to hookpoint.com forward slash masterclass. And that's like an hour and a half of free content talking about hook points. And then from there, if they go to hookpoint.com, they can check out that book. I typically recommend at least um, right now, because the book is out is start. Even if you're really interested in follower growth, start with the hook point masterclass or the hook point book and the book you can find at hookpoint.com. And then jump into 1 million followers because 1 million followers will teach you the tactics and they do work, but you've got to master the art of attention to make sure that you overcome the algorithms and maximize the potential 
of the followers that that you grow i agree storytelling comes first and then when and when you nail that then obviously as you say you will keep attracting the right people and you can use techniques to help you you know test it for yourself yeah and if the people want to check out the one million followers book i just recommend going to book.1millionfollowers.com and one is spelled out because it isn't all major retail stores and stuff but we have some additional add-ons that you can get uh if you like to learn like video via video and other things like that amazing well thank you so much again for the chat and i love the rest of the day yeah thanks for having me it's great to connect with you thank you so much for listening don't forget to check our show notes for more juicy goodness about this episode if you loved it please take some time to give us five stars on itunes and make sure that you let us know your ha-has and takeaways on instagram at creative impact co also, you can find out more about us on our website at creativeimpact.group.